This is the Inner Voice Audio Experience, and I'm your host, Travis McKenzie. Endurance athletes spend a lot of time in their own heads, and their own self-talk can either drive them towards their goals or crush them in an instant. We often focus on mastering the body, but these battles play out in the mind. I host inspiring athletes and innovators from across the endurance sports industry and explore the trials and tribulations that often play out well before race day and in their personal lives. You will recognize the names, but you won't have heard their stories told like this before. Today's episode is a Skype call I recently held with Australian professional triathlete Jake Montgomery. Jake's story is one that I'm passionate about sharing. Prior to the 2016 70.3 World Championships in Malulabar on Australia's Sunshine Coast, Jake was primed to have his breakout race, signalling his arrival on the world stage. Unfortunately, he never made it to the start line, and the course of his career and life was changed in an instant. In a training ride the day before the race, a car turned in front of Jake, and he collided with it at 40 kilometers an hour, causing traumatic brain bleeds and a chance that he would never race again. What followed has been a mental battle to make it back to the sport he loves. His journey has been rocky, but thanks to finding love, his renewed passion has him gunning for an appearance at this year's 70.3 Worlds in Nice. In Jake's own words, he has unfinished business. Inner Voice was created to tell stories just like Jake's, so I hope you enjoy his very human, very inspiring tale. I'm also extremely grateful that I get to meet and talk to incredible people who make up the endurance sports industry, be it the athletes, brands, or you, the Inner Voice community. All of this wouldn't be possible without the support of brands like iCore Labs, who have really stepped up by sponsoring this episode of The Audio Experience. Icor is a natural hemp source of CBD that protects your body from stress, improves athletic recovery, and helps you maintain a positive mental state. They also have a great opportunity for you to try their product. You'll hear more about that later in the show. For now, here's Jake. Jake Montgomery, how are you, mate? Oh, good, thanks. Travis, how are you? I'm really good, mate. I'm really good. Um, now, you're in Boulder, Colorado, and... Looking at the forecast, it's uh, it's about five degrees Fahrenheit there today. Growing up in Australia, both you and I, it's probably not something we thought we'd ever experience in our lifetime. No, it's um, it's definitely probably a proper winter, I guess, because having a winter in Australia is nothing compared to what I've faced the past couple of months. So it's it's a, it's an interesting change. Absolutely, and I remember I actually tell this story quite a bit. I remember growing up on the Gold Coast and you'd go out for a ride in the middle of winter and it would be 15 degrees Celsius and you would have your arm warmers and your leg warmers and maybe a long, uh, a long vest on and that was about it. And people thought it was the end of the world. It was so cold. But uh, now living in North America and having experienced winter myself, it's definitely not the case. Where did you grow up in Australia, mate? Give us a bit of a background on uh, on where you, you're from. I've grown up most of my life in... Uh, just north of Wollongong, which is south of Sydney, New South Wales. Um, I've been there. I was there for the 
uh, first 22 years of my life. It was a little cold down that region, but um, yeah, still nothing compared to over here. And it's yeah, two years ago I actually made the move um, up to the Gold Coast for where it's a lot warmer and uh, better conditions to train. And um, but yeah, that's been a good move. Yeah, and while there's obviously a long storied history of triathlon on the Gold Coast, I remember um, you know in the early 2000s training there with. Uh, with some heavy hitters from the from the scene, but um, yeah, it continues obviously to be a, a bit of a hub for triathlon uh, in in uh, in Australia, and then obviously you're in, in the hub of one of the hubs in triathlon for uh, for America as well in in Boulder, Colorado. Why don't you give us a bit of an idea of how you actually got into triathlon? My first ever race was when I was thirteen. Um, so like going through primary school and high school, I was always uh, racing the swimming and cross country uh, school meets, but it that time, my swim coach, he was actually a triathlete himself, and he saw that I could sort of swim and bike half, or, uh, swim and run half right. So he's like, "Oh, you should give this triathlon a crack." So I was like, "Oh yeah, I had never got on a road bike before in my life, and um, did my first one, and absolutely loved it. And the uh, road riding's been my favourite thing to do ever since." So. Nice. And then, um, you know, from 13 years old to becoming a professional, there's you know, probably a few years in between there. Why don't you share us a little bit about the, the journey that you took to becoming a professional triathlete? Yeah, so while I was um, still in school, I was just keeping it a, like something on the side for a bit of fun and something to do on weekends and after school. So I yeah, completed high school and actually went straight into college. And during my first year of studying, um, I was still training for triathlon, but then the Australian head coach asked me to come with him and the team to race in Europe for a couple of months. That's when I first, first turned pro over sprint and Olympic distance racing, and it was a, it was a lot of fun the trip over there and racing and like yeah competing some of the, against some of the best in the world. But I sort of from what my strengths were in the race, I was just never really getting the results and was sort of always mid pack over this draft legal stuff and after two years of racing pro I was that I was like I was kind of losing the love for it and I was like oh, what do I do do I give it up or do I do what the my next step was going to be a long way down the track but maybe a little bit sooner and that was to race a 70.3 so I thought no I'll, I'll give the 70.3 a crack and see how that works out for me yeah and it seemed to work out pretty well pretty soon after that from what I can understand I I first uh, saw your name. Um, I think you won uh, Geelong seventy point three in twenty sixteen. Tell us about that race. That you know, was that your first win? That was definitely the first time I'd recognised your name. But talk us through that experience, mate. You uh, you you beat some of the world's best, and tell tell me a little bit about that day in particular. Yeah, so Geelong seventy point three was only just after a year after my first on course race, and in the lead up to that, the uh, the previous two months I'd had two seconds at two other 70.3s and they were getting closer and closer. That first one, I was ran down in the last three kilometres and then that second one, I was ran down in the last kilometre and I was, it gave me a lot of motivation over Christmas time and leading into the first start of the year to finally nail that top position. Yes, yeah, so I went to Geelong and it was, it's always been a stack course the um, previous years and it was no different the year I turned up with uh, Craig Alexander there and a bunch of other guys, and I just put a good race together from start to finish. There was sort of no weaknesses from swim, bike, or run, and it 
probably one of the best moments of my life was crossing that line and taking the tape for my first um, 70.3 win. Yeah, that's awesome. Most of uh, most of our listeners, and, and definitely not myself, um, have had the joy of doing um, that in such a big race. What did that day feel like? You, you mentioned that it was flawless in your execution, swim, bike, run. Were you thinking more so about your own execution? Um, were you thinking about the other guys and keeping an eye on them? How did the race unfold on that particular day? Well, at that stage, me being still fairly new, it's I really worry about anyone else because I knew what they were capable of and I just had to take each moment as what I was capable of at that point at the race so yeah I was sort of not racing against anyone I was just doing what I could at that time pushing myself to the most. I'd love to hear from you has that changed uh, or did that change after that race did you all of a sudden become someone that other people were watching did you change your own mindset to become a bit more combative in races uh, or have you kept the same approach where it's all about your own execution no i still like to rely on my own execution but probably the thing that sticks out the most now is people aren't willing to let me go ahead in the bike anymore because that's where i've been able to get my results is through the bike leg is where I can put some time on and although my run's not the quickest I can get enough time to pick myself up there for a podium finish. With that in mind is that something you're looking to take to Ironman have you considered going longer and I, there's some other things that we you know you and I should talk about in the meantime but before we get there is that where your mind's at or is it still a few more years perfecting the 70.3 distance? Yeah Ironman is definitely uh, goal, but it is a long way down the track. Is I think you know I'm only uh, 24 at the moment, so I've still got a, a fair few more years getting quicker over the 70.3 distance before I worry about stepping up to the long course. I'd love to hear a little bit about your last, uh, let's call it a couple of years. Um, I know you had a pretty serious accident, and there's been some difficulties that have come from that. Why don't you share a little bit about what happened? and what the, the aftermath has been um, after your accident. Yeah, going into my first ever World Championships was a very exciting time for me, especially I was ranked 12th going in, so I had a good chance for the top results. So that everything was going as per usual. Like I got up there the day before for like the briefing, meeting sponsors, and just some quick pre-race training. And also it was just a few hours, few hours drive up the road, so being out of race worlds on home turf is pretty nice. And But my swim done in the morning, that all went well caught up with some sponsors, got the briefing done and then just went out for a quick spin in the afternoon to make sure the bike was kicking over nicely and that first 10 minutes of the ride was my last memory for almost two months after that. I've, to this day, I still have no recollection of anything that happened in that accident. Um, according to my Garmin, the accident happened about 20 minutes in it's when my speed's gone from about 40 kilometers an hour to zero really quick and from what the police reports said uh, they said a car had turned in front of me and I've gone into the windscreen over the top and landed on my head which has caused the multiple brain bleeding and swelling and there was a several fractures in my body muscle tears and yeah I was in pieces was there anyone around at the time? Did anyone stop? What what kind of happened uh, immediately after that happened? What, from what I've heard, it's, I was just put straight in the ambulance and rushed to the nearest hospital, and and then that's where I like I was straight into um, intensive care because I, I was unconscious for almost seventy two hours. So 
on the way to the hospital, that's when my dad got the call because he was at the hotel waiting for me to come back and hadn't heard anything. And then the first call he got was from the, the hospital saying, oh, your son's here and I'm in emergency with the following injury. So, so yeah, he raced up there and then I spent that first night at the local hospital and then was flown to Royal Brisbane for further care. And Now, physically, have you fully recovered from the accident? Uh, yeah, physically, that's, that's the thing. Like any any new people I meet or talk to, or they see me race, there's, there's nothing they can tell that's happened due to the accident. So there's yeah, there's nothing holding me back in that regard. Yeah, and I can you know you and I have kind of uh, discussed this, and uh, I can tell you know even here listening to you talk about it, there's there's obviously some mental scars there. You know, there's the disappointment obviously of not being able to race in that race, but probably more so, you know, around some other things mentally. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that and, and some of the struggles you've had uh, since the accident and through your recovery uh, on the mental side of things? Yeah, so, yeah, one of the first things I could remember was, I think it was around about week six, it was when I saw the neurologist and he sort of described how serious everything was and, He's like, oh, so what are your plans now? And I'm like, oh, well, I want to go back to the sport I love, the triathlon. And he's like, well, if I was in your shoes, I'm running, I wouldn't suggest doing it again. He said, your risk of seizures is too great and it, it's a lot of pressure on yourself. And I'm like, oh, well, that's the thing. I was at that point where that was that was all my life lived for was triathlon. And I was like, oh, well, so what's a zero percent chance? And he's like, oh, if you're that bet on getting back, he's like, give it four months and... Then you can try. After hearing that, that's what shocked me a lot. And yeah, it was I had a lot of anxiety, stress, and was yeah super self-conscious about myself because for the first two months I couldn't even put a sentence together properly. I was at a, at a loss for words and with a lot of stuttering. And it, yeah, it wasn't great. So I was worried about going out and hanging with friends. And but then my social life went down as well, and also lost a lot of motivation to do the stuff I used to love doing day in day out, which was. I think because I lived right next to the beach and so yeah that was a big thing and yeah just my parents said he, like they'd tell the doctors and stuff his personality's just changed completely so yeah it was a, a big shock to them too obviously you mentioned your your dad and your, your family were there people who were constants in your life through that time that, that really helped you get through some of those tougher days yeah without my mum and dad there I would have yeah been in a very different place because they were like couldn't have asked of any more for them because they, like they, they heard about the whole getting back to running thing, and there was no pressure to do it or not to do it. So it's they just helped me with every decision and made sure I was on the right track and um, looking after myself as best I could. So, and then what about sponsors? Were there sponsors that you know stood by you and helped you? Were there some that you know, understandably, business decision you weren't racing, you, you know, you weren't valuable to them anymore what was your experience kind of from the business side of the sport in, in that time so that was another huge worry for me early on because yeah supposedly racing was like a 50 50 chance again that was i sort of gave them the rundown but i was so lucky that everyone stuck by me and they supported me 100 percent until my first race back um yeah i was very lucky not to have lost any during that time that's awesome were there any in particular that really stood out as as you know, companies that went above and beyond 
uh, to make sure that you knew that there was no pressure and that you were able to, to make it back or not make it back under your own circumstances? One of my all-time dreams once is I was Sram and Zip um, actually signed me in the, my recovery time. Right. I sort of heard what my results were before and realised that how determined I was to get back into it. And they, um, yeah, I signed a two-year deal with them and that was a big positive step for me. And um, yeah, also like Cervelo put me on one of their new bikes, um, the P5X, when they first brought that out for my first race back. So yeah, there was a lot, a lot of help from big companies that I just hoping they uh, wouldn't drop me, let alone help me more than I could have imagined. Well, that's that's actually where you and I first met. We were in. Uh, in Vegas for the Cervelo brain bike event you were having a good time and riding your bike pretty hard and and spending some time enjoying the sun talk to me about kind of your approach from recovery Uh, you find out that you you know you are able to get back into some sport what did that look like going from that period of uncertainty back to your first race what was that uh, what was that experience like Uh, it was super super tough at times when the most I could do some days was walk and I'd always have either my mum or dad accompanying me because like, I, I was even afraid to go near the roads for the first couple of months because I was just a bit edgy. And so yeah, I'd have them walk with me and it was like a 10-minute walk, a 20-minute walk, 30-minute, an hour walk and it was just walking, walking. And um, I did a lot of hydrotherapy with dad in the pool before I could start swimming again. Um, so that was just with some aqua boys. And, and then yeah, the riding on the trainer was the same sort of deal as walking. It was I just rode inside for the next six months and it was yeah starting off small and just gradually increasing time and time and and then it got to the point where I had to going a little bit harder than aerobic and seeing if the body's capable of being pushed again so that was a bit frightening at stages because of how much the doctors had scared me but um yeah no I think I got very lucky with how slow I took it and kept cautious so and so the, the caution from the doctors was the possibility of seizures was that from the brain kind of brain injury and brain bleeding and what was the what was the physical prognosis there around that and kind of what was the possibility for seizures where did that come from i had three internal brain bleeds uh on the left side of my head and yeah that's what they worried about was the actual like the jolting of like running and stuff would yeah cause seizures so so yeah and also just uh like strenuous activity could have caused it as well so yeah they, yeah, I think they just said worst case scenario to scare me. So <laughs> yeah, well, it honestly made it. Um, it gives me you know chills a little bit hearing you talk about it because I couldn't imagine what that would feel like. And you know, I had a pretty bad bike accident myself. And you know, the way I approached my recovery was, uh, you know, I treated it as if I was an athlete. So as you described those those walks, that was my training session for the day that for me was the way that I kind of approached it. And it sounds like you did a similar thing, but now obviously kind of making it a little bit more positive. You have got back, you are racing. Are there still anything lingering for you uh, right now that you're experiencing on a day-to-day basis around what's happened? It had been pretty good. Like I'd had a pretty strong, smooth comeback up in like mid last year and I was getting played with a couple of injuries and I got one in my knee um, that I'd had oh, years and years ago and I was over in the US at the time and it sort of requires a cortisone injection as like a, well, it may or may not work and I was quite bad and after trying so hard to get back and then having just little 
injuries stopped me from doing anything at all, sort of made me rethink triathlon. And in about August last year, after uh, Boulder 70.3, had an absolute shocker there, and I'd pretty much given up the sport. I was like, that, that'll do, I don't need to stress anymore. I told myself, it's like, I, it's, I don't think I'm going to get back to where I was, and there's no point in me trying to travel around and keep half-assing it. So, What has changed from that? Obviously, that's a, you know, that's a tough thing to go through. You've put in so much work to get back you've you've got overcome immense challenges and then you know something as simple as an, a knee injury it seems like you've turned a little bit of a corner what kind of keeps you coming back obviously the you know there's a love of the sport is is there anything in particular that just kind of keeps you coming back and, and wanting to to keep giving it a shot well yeah that's the thing like it in august i was i was done with the race i was meant to go to in maryland um i had an injury that that was when i had my knee injury and I was forced to stay back in Boulder, and I was just like, okay, um, this is this is it. But actually, um, met a girl, uh, Sydney, that weekend, and yeah, we sort of we met at the Boulder Ironman after party, and uh, from there things just got better and better. Like I spent all summer with her, with the mindset away from triathlon, and just enjoying what life has to offer. Um, I was doing a lot of hiking with her. Um, her dad was a keen mountain bike rider, so I was enjoying the trails with him and hanging out with her and getting to know her better. And so I was, I was planning to uh, come back to Australia. But then, yeah, after meeting her, she actually, yeah, she stole my heart and made the decision easy for me to come back in October to spend the winter with her. And so coming back in October, I had no intentions of doing triathlon. I'd come back with a road bike just for a bit of fun, no running shoes, no swim gear. And that second night I was with her after coming back, she... She spoke to me and uh, we were just chatting about triathlon and I was telling her more about my accident and why I did the sport in the first place. And uh, yeah, what she said that said to me that night made me realise why I was in the sport and why I love it so much. So she relit that spark of triathlon inside of me again and I've been back training ever since and just probably excited more than ever to race again. So That's awesome, mate. You're not the first man who's had his heart stolen by uh, a beautiful American woman, so you're not alone there, mate. <laughs> Talk to me about that, you know, that relationship. Obviously, I, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason, so the fact that you didn't go to the race in Maryland and you stayed back in Boulder and then you met Sydney. Talk to me about, you know, how you obviously mentioned how that's kind of a adapted and changed your mindset on triathlon but you know what's that what's that whole experience been like getting to know someone deciding to kind of make a goal of it what's uh what's that been like for you yeah so it's um like i started off small just like we had coffee like the following day and then breakfast and then dinner like on the third date and then super active herself she just does like this uh swim bike run training for the love of it because she's she's full-time at school so and works a couple of jobs yeah she actually raced Boulder 70.3 last year and uh, won her age group and took a ticket to Nice this year. So, yeah, for how much she does it for the fun, she's quite fast <laughs> and yeah. pretty strong. So, yeah, I think her being there training as well, was it's been like having a training partner over the past few months. It's, we swim together, ride together and run together. So that's been a lot of fun and very good for my motivation. So. I was just going to say, she's obviously um, probably pretty stoked to have someone of your ability to to guide her through that process a little bit. Do you help her with coaching, or is is she taking the sport a little bit more seriously now that you're in her life? She's yeah, still like the same as a medic. She's still doing it for the love. It's like I've um, I just sort of like pass on advice and tips where I can, and like oh, this is the session I'm doing for this reason, and 
just sort of just enjoys following along, so that's pretty cool. And so I said, I was like, oh, are you going to race the full world? She's like, oh, I might just do Boulder and then the world, and that'll do me for the year. So, yes, I love how she's got no full commitment to it because she's, she's a very smart girl at school, so she's going to do really well on that. She graduates in November. So. With that in mind, do you see Nice 70.3 Worlds as a goal for you for 2019 um, to go and race there together, or do you think you'll see how it plays out and, and maybe go and support her uh, in her race there? Yeah, I told her a couple of months ago before I'd put down my first race for the year, and I was like, regardless of me getting a spot for me, I'm coming regardless to help you out. So, but um, no, I am actually chasing the coin for me. I've got some um, unfinished do, unfinished business to do at World. So, so what does that um, look like for you? What's your what's your plan of getting there? What are the races you have on your schedule so far? So to start off the year, I'm going to head to China and race. Uh, we choose 70.3, 14th of April. So, because um, I, I get back to Australia at the end of March and we'll go from China, from Australia to China um, back to Australia and then I'm going to do Bustleton which is the first weekend of May and then I plan on coming back to Boulder to race through the summer here because it sort of tightens down a bit after May in Australia for racing um, so I'll have at least three yeah. opportunities to uh, get a ticket for Nice uh, before the qualifying period ends. And are you are you happy with the changes in the qualifying system? Do you think that kind of helps, particularly in your position where you may not have races in the bank where you've collected points? Um, is that something that you're you're happy about at the moment? I don't know. I'm still sort of fifty fifty on the the qualifying structure now. So I didn't. I kind of I did enjoy not so much being forced, but knowing you need to race like at least five races to gather points for the thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas now people can. Pick and choose, and maybe do one race, and then do nothing until world. So, whereas I kind of it's like having the point system before it gets a bit more stacked field worldwide. Yeah, that's true. And I guess you know, there's not as much emphasis on having a perfect day every day out. I guess is is probably another another way of looking at it. First thing, yeah, a lot of people go pick a multi race, which is kind of what I'm doing in China because it's a bit of a struggle to get to that. It's a 16 hour flight for me from Australia. So yeah, it's those ones that are out of the way are going to be less stacked and easy to pick up right. places. But yeah, yeah, can't always say it's the best. Not racing against the stack field because I kind of enjoyed it. Shows you exactly where your weaknesses are, and it's kind of nice to be lining up against the best sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Do you um do you consider yourself a competitor? I know we talked earlier about you know executing on your own race, but some of the best athletes I've met and had had the honor of spending time with would race you to the corner just for the sake of it or you know they they were just constantly <laughs> wanting to compete is that your mindset are you are you a competitor at heart oh yeah once I'm out on the course at chasing uh, that front position the whole time so that's that's been my racing style too is is lead from the front because my swim bike is the strongest part of my race yeah I've never been conservant since the, um, the gun's gone off and do you have athletes that you looked up to obviously Australia has a really rich history in triathlon was there Anyone you look to as you were coming up through the sport that you would consider a hero or someone that you you know looked up to and idolised? Yeah, definitely. Crowey's been my idol since my first ever race. He was actually presenting a award there, and I was lucky enough to pick up a medal and get a photo with him. And yeah, that was at the young age of thirteen. And uh, since I've moved to long course racing, he's actually been a huge help. I've been lucky enough to do some training with him and. During those sessions, he's been kind enough to pass over some um, knowledge and advice. So, yeah, still to this day, he's like, yeah, my all-time favourite. So That's awesome. 
And then he's just got a lot of time for people. Yeah, I've heard that. I, you know, I've never heard a bad word um, from anyone about him. Is you know, did he say anything to you? You know, when you win Geelong seventy point three, you know, was he there patting you on the back and saying good job, mate, or was he saying you know not too many more tips from me and for the time being? What, what was kind of that? <laughs> uh, what was kind of that interaction that you you may have had with him after that? No, he, he was super encouraging and stoked for me. So yeah, to see that after a win in a race he was at it was really nice so, and just shows him what a legend he is talk to me about boulder obviously there's a you know there's a big endurance sports scene there uh do you have any training partners or people you like to spend time with while you're in town or are you a bit more of a um solo guy and, and get the work done on your own through the winter's hard because so much of it's indoors and stuff i do swim with the squads at rally but um yeah during the summer a lot of the guys catch up for rides together and you know we'll go out and do like three four hours on the road and sessions together and because there's you know a lot of australians over here through the summer too so that's kind of cool to see them yeah like we can go out sometimes and there'll be like eight of us in a bunch and from all parts of the globe so that's pretty cool yeah it's definitely a melting pot of uh of, of amazing athletes i i remember this past summer i was there and i was feeling pretty good and i went out for a ride and there was probably a pretty good tailwind and i was hammering along and i'm like oh i'm interested to go back and look at strava and see see how i uh how i stacked up because i thought i was moving pretty well and then you look at the like the 30 or 40 people ahead of you and you're like yeah no i had no chance no matter if it was the strongest tailwind (laughs) ever (laughs) so it's it's a hard place to get uh to get anywhere on strava that's for sure no that's a problem too a lot of the pro cyclists come and just tear up the hills and stuff yeah what's uh maybe share one of your favorite days or training memories from there because it's you know it is a beautiful place and Anyone who's listening, it's uh, it's definitely worth checking out at some point uh, in your life and going and hanging out and grabbing coffee and 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 meeting some of the the athletes that are in town. But what uh, maybe share with us one of your favourite uh, training days you've had from from your time in Boulder? Yeah, so probably when I've done it uh, sort of twice now. The same ride as when I first get to Boulder in May. Still pretty cold and up high. There's still a fair bit of snow. But this one road called Trail Ridge Road it is you ride out of Boulder. Um, up one of the canyons, which takes about an hour and a half to the first town, which is Esther's Park, and then you go into that, and then up, yeah, up through the Rocky Mountain National Park along Trail Ridge, and you keep climbing, and you get up to over three thousand meters, and it's like just before summer, they open it for a week to pedestrians only, and they've cleared the road, but on either side, there's about and 15 foot of snow, just like sheer wall. So when you're riding along the road and you've got the, just a big white wall next to you of snow, that's a... What about, you know, there's obviously a, a big move in endurance sports to kind of the adventure side of the sport, whether it's gravel racing or trail running, which has been around for quite a while. You know, is that of any interest to you or are you, you solely focused on trying to get to the top in triathlon and then see what uh, see what the rest um, comes your way after that? Um, yes, I think like all the... Yeah, swim bike runs done purely triathlon related, but like on the side, which can be a nice bit of cross training, is like I've done a lot of hiking lately. Which um, initially you do that, and it feels like you've been in the gym for four hours, so that's quite painful. <laughs> and um, you get to, you get to see some pretty spectacular sights. Yeah, I did one last summer, which took us up to over fourteen thousand feet was uh, Long's Peak. So that was that was pretty sketchy. I used to be scared of heights when I was young, but Lucky I'm not now because that was there were some scary parts along that hike. Um, and also like the mountain biking, I hadn't done that since I was in high school and actually 
rode a bike and did some of the trails around here and also up at Crested Butte, which was a lot of fun and it's a nice, that's like a bit of cross training. It's you can still get four hours in, but on the dirt, the time goes a lot quicker and you can have a lot more fun. So We actually featured a, a lady recently, Caroline Moore, who's done every single one of the 14,000 peak climbs in Colorado. What was that like going that high? You know, you obviously talked about sketchy. Was that kind of the conditions or was that the altitude? Like what was the, what was, what was your kind of mix of sketchiness on the, on that particular hike? When you're going up that high, the weather can change in an instant and what can be a, a beautiful day down in Boulder can be treacherous up at 14,000 feet. So that's probably the hardest thing is picking the day to go up there and knowing that you're going to be safe and warm. So, mm-hmm. um, and also some, like they've got the classes of the climbs too. So some can be big wide trails and pretty cruisy, but then others can be like, you're actually scaling rock and all on, on all fours trying to get up to the peaks. Yeah. It sounds, uh, sounds super. I'll, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'll be rushing to, uh, to do any of those at any time soon. I think I'm still scared of heights, so I probably definitely, <laughs> definitely avoid that in the near future. That's yeah. for sure. Now I know that you and you and Sydney actually spend a quite a bit of time doing those type of things together. Is that is that something that you guys will do more of in the future? Kind of pick out some of these bigger uh, peaks and bigger climbs and and uh, and make a bit of an adventure of them. Oh, for sure. Yeah, she's, that's what I love a lot about her. She's always down to do something epic. So I've done a a lot of the hikes close to Boulder and a few fourteeners. And um, yeah, she's she's got no fear either. She's a a pretty mad skier. I've, I've skied with her a couple of times over the winter so far and she's waiting down the bottom of the runs for five minutes for me to <laughs> get down there. So Classic. Did you pick up skiing when you moved to the States? Yeah, no, so the first time I skied was November last year. Um and yeah, actually yeah, Sydney was been a day teaching me and that first couple of hours I was like, I'm never gonna get the hang of this. And I had to con- control one board because I'm used to surfing, but the skis that was a whole other story and I was going nowhere real fast. Yeah, I know the I know the feeling. I when I'm I actually moved to, to Toronto first and um, some of my friends there were you know excellent snowboarders and spent quite a bit of time trying to teach me and I just never you know I picked it up to be proficient enough to not hurt myself but they would same thing like yeah. they'd wait for five <laughs> minutes but at the bottom be like come on man like you gotta speed this up and I'm like I'll just meet you in the bar or I'll just grab a hot chocolate and <laughs> you guys yeah. can keep going <laughs> What have you, like, now being kind of, you know, basing yourself in the US in the wintertime, do you see that being something you'll do ongoing um, or once Sydney graduates from school, do you guys have plan to, you know, spend some time in Australia? What's what's kind of the longer-term future for you guys? Yeah, so I think I'll, like, as nice as that has been doing a winter, I think I will get back to pacing summers because this year that's something you can only get so much time that your head can handle training indoors. Trying to do a four-hour ride indoors is only so bearable, even if... I was stuck there for a winter. They're not that bad. It's like, yeah, as you said, the most you've got to keep up is like a vest and you're, you're fine to go out for a morning. Talk to me about that patience. Like, what do you got? You know, you have spent the winter training indoors and there's a lot of our listeners who are based in North America, so they're probably going through the same thing. What is that experience? What do you think about while you're on those trainer rides? Is it just like get this over with or, you know, do you use self-talk? Like, what is, what is that kind of experience for you when you're doing those longer sessions indoors like i'm, I'm always plugging music in to listen to and that sort of keeps me going and you always like i always try and structure something out so even if you have got an easy session on the bike and it yeah, might be two hours easy or something you'd 
rather than just doing too easy flat out. You can just play with your cadence work or watch something on your phone or get a mate alongside you so and talk to you to let the time pass by quicker. So Yeah, that's good advice. Do you Have you gotten into Zwift or anything like that or are you still just doing kind of structured uh, ergo sets on the on the trainer? What's uh, What does that look like for you? Yeah, I'm still just um, doing the structure. I've heard everyone's getting into Zwift, but I, I haven't yet. So I've invested in one of those virtual trainers and it's, it's kind of cool because you didn't actually hook up your Garmin and ride courses or rides you've already done before and the actual trainer simulates all the climbs and descents. So I thought um, yeah, that was a pretty cool thing and you can, that's like what I do. Like I watch the elevation map and it, like you recognise the hills. It's like, oh yeah, I know that one on that ride and that one, yeah, I know that descent and all that sort of thing. So that's a pretty cool thing to go through and if you've got a long ride or something. So I actually remember some of my favourite, and I don't know why they've, they're my favourite, but maybe it's just the, the want to suffer. But I remember some of the five-hour rides I was doing before Ironman races. I was living in Vancouver and I did Ironman Melbourne one year and like there was three or four weeks in a row I did five hours and that was before the Zwift, that was before everything. It was like CompuTrainer. So I watched like five yeah. Ironman <laughs> Ironman World Championship videos in a row and like it was I look back on them now and they made me definitely mentally strong and physically strong but man that was like geez they were brutal um just sweating yeah. and like oh you learn to oh. appreciate the outdoors a lot totally yeah 100% like as soon as the sun comes out it's like yeah hallelujah I'm here um which has been interesting yeah. that you know I recently you know moved to the east coast and from Vancouver and I've been able to ride outside way more than I would have in Vancouver, um, it's cold for sure, but it's dry and sunny. So I've actually really enjoyed spending time kind of rugged up in a whole bunch of clothes and just, you know, easy miles out on the road and just enjoying nature and scenery. And it's, yeah, it's been, actually been a really cool revelation for me not being stuck in a basement somewhere riding and, and watching the clock. Yeah, you know, it definitely makes you mentally stronger and um, yeah, you get outside and the time passes over so much quicker and you feel like you've got another gear to yeah feeling the breeze against you again so. absolutely so first race in april what's uh what's the next couple of weeks or a couple of months look like for you training wise much of the same do you have any kind of big sessions you like to do before a race as as test sets or you know what does the next couple of months hold for you everything sort of stays the same sort of week in week out it's um sort of saturdays i normally my test session it's sort of like a hard bike at some race wattages and a hard, hard run off. Yeah, like I'll go through like a Friday night, I'll have a big dinner and then have a decent brekkie on Saturday morning as I would for a race and then, yeah, leave it all out there on a Saturday morning and see what my body's capable of and sort of see what numbers I can put together and then that gives me a fair idea of what I can be looking to hold um, come the race in China. Have you noticed a week-to-week change or is it kind of now more of a month-to-month proposition or is it kind of happening a, a bit more rapidly now? Week in, week out, it's pretty standard until the race and then I've got some travel the two weeks before trying to like come back from the States and then to China so it's kind of going to be like a decent lead up until then and more like a a two-week taper instead of a one-week taper this time sort of putting all my cookies in for China and then we'll base whether or not I go to Boston and if I go to Boston and how hard I need to race depending on how the I went at China so yeah is in this there's only three weeks between those two races so and do you work with a coach i was working with tim reed last year at the start of last year and then yeah once i got that injury i sort of didn't want to waste his time anymore because i wasn't sure of when i was going to be back 200 i just yeah, told him not to worry and i'm just gonna look after myself 
for the time being. And before radio, I was coaching myself for the first three years of being pro, so I'm going to go back to that, and hopefully that'll work out well for me again. Save for the conversation we've kind of had about motivation and you know and and that type of thing. Do you find you know now you're back motivated to to continue that? you're able to do that and, and push yourself and, and give yourself the right amount of work without having to worry about whether you're doing enough? Is that Has that been a problem for you before or is that something that you're kind of experiencing now? Yeah, because I'm sort of going back to like exactly what I was doing before the accident and that was, yeah, same sort of structured weeks and, yeah, it's, it worked well for me. So it's sort of responsible for my own doing and how much effort I put in and how much recovery and everything I take. So it, you know, I kind of enjoy it that way and it keeps the, the love and motivation there for it. I don't mind like, going out for a ride and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do for myself. And yeah, it's satisfying coming back and picking that off. What would be some advice you might have? There's going to be two parts to this one. Advice for someone who is a young, aspiring triathlete coming through the ranks, what would be your advice to them? And then second part of that question what would be your advice to someone who, like Sydney, is you know enjoying the sport for what it is and it's a part of their lifestyle? Some advice or you know a couple of tips that would help them continue down that journey, maybe improve their performance, but maintain that love for the sport. Yeah, so probably the biggest thing is learn to enjoy each session, especially when you're starting out. It don't feel pressured to do more than what you should, or just because other people are saying they're doing this much doesn't mean you have to. It's, you, you take it as and you'll feel yourself build up. You'll want to do more and you'll the more you enjoy it. So, And it, probably another big thing I've learned too is yeah, just listen to your body. It, if something's hurting, it's it's okay to stop because cutting half a run short might save you three weeks, six weeks of injury. So yeah, that's probably the biggest advice I could give to people sort of like yeah, starting up and that. And then yeah, other people who are doing it as like maybe something on the side is yeah, like talk to people who are in the the sport and maybe have been doing it for a long time with professionals out and that ask for advice and tips and take that on board and just implement it where you can into what training you are doing and see how that works for you. Yeah, that's great advice, mate. That's awesome. One thing I've you know noticed about yourself is is how approachable approachable you are, and um, I think there's a lot of pros in triathlon in particular that that are the same way. If people do want to send you a note and wish you well or get some advice or some thoughts what's the what's the best way for them to contact you most people are pretty active on social media these days so send me a follow or um a a message in there i'd be happy to reply and hand off any advice i can yeah my handle is i am jake montgomery and that's uh that's on instagram i am jake montgomery that's great i've had a couple of people message me before and i'm always happy to reply them back and help where i can so it's nice that i do get asked these questions sometimes yeah and i'm sure you know obviously great to be able to give back considering you know what some of the the best in the world have, have given to you over the years as well it's probably a nice feeling to to share some of that to absolutely that's awesome mate jake i really appreciate your uh, your openness and your honesty today mate i know it's not easy to talk about your accident and and the aftermath of that i'm glad we were able to to touch on that and i i really wish you the best of I'll, I'll be following and you know i look forward to to getting together in boulder at some point in the summertime and going out for a ride and and having a chat and uh, and catching up and maybe we'll do this again in person yeah no i really appreciate your time and interest in me and yeah following my story so i can't think you guys enough of course mate of course uh all the best for China and uh, look forward to catching up. And uh, anyone who wants to reach out to Jake, send him a note, send him well wishes and uh, and give him a thumbs up. So all the best, mate. Great to chat and uh, and take care of yourself. Oh, thanks, each, mate. Appreciate it. 
Thank you again to Jake for being so open about his journey and his personal struggle to get back to the top of his sport. Thank you as well to our incredible sponsor, iCore Labs, who are offering 15% off to our listeners to try their full-spectrum hemp extract CBD. As Jake and most of our listeners will know, pain is quite often thought of as a necessary part of being an endurance athlete, but it doesn't have to be the case. Since I started using iCore a few months ago, I've noticed the small niggling pains that I thought were normal have gone away. I am able to go about my regular life without discomfort, and I'm able to work out harder without having to push through the nagging aches. It works for me, and it might just work for you. Head to iCallLabs.com and use the code INNERVOICE for your next order. Until next time, I'm Travis McKenzie, and this is the Inner Voice Audio Experience.